Ron DeSantis. If Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war in soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Up, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars in debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or thirty thousand dollars they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook Podcast. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla coming in hot as we are sweating it away here in Texas and Scott, speaking of sweating away, you know, Houston Texans training camp is rocking and rolling, and those guys are out there sweating their tails off. Absolutely. You know, and they're actually, you know, getting ready to play their first preseason game. If you are listening to this, hopefully that will be tomorrow because this podcast will be out on Wednesday. Uh, And everybody's looking forward to seeing the debut of C.J. Stroud. So we'll see, you know, what we can, what we'll see from him. And Scott, you actually again are, you know, doing the extra legwork and reaching out and finding guests for the podcast. So we appreciate you doing that. And we appreciate Cody Stutes coming in and joining us and, um, you know, bringing a little bit of that insight on what's going on there at Texans training camp. Uh, yeah, I, I, Cody actually has done a couple of, uh, joined me for a couple of articles, uh, five questions at the Battle Red blog. Uh, uh, thank you for, you know, stepping up to the plate for that. And, uh, uh, used to regularly listen to him on the afternoon show, the wheelhouse on 97.5. And, uh, we wanted to open it up with Cody. Uh, he, you know, recently left the station and I, you know, I thought that his move was actually, you know, pretty uh, fascinating. So I wanted to give him a few minutes to talk about what he's currently doing and, you know, what was, you know, the decision making behind that change for him. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on, and it's uh, it's uh, it's been a fun endeavor, man. I I really like covering the Texans, and that's been sort of the team I've loved the most you know, over the past you know decade plus or so. And um, you know, baseball was my first love, but then I fell in love with football, and uh, that's just kind of been. I love the draft, I love training camp, um, I love the regular season. You know, I think the per, you know pro fantasy football is kind of the purest form of fantasy sports to me, and it's just. It just from a timing perspective, it it made sense. I feel like there's a there's a I call it the era of good vibes with the Texans right now. You know, D'Amico Ryan's hiring kind of got people more inspired with the team, more excited about the team, and 
I was uh, ready to jump in and just really only talk about them. Not to say that I don't enjoy talking about, you know, the Rockets or the Astros or, you know, some other things, but, uh, you know, pro football, the Texans, you know, and a little sprinkle of college football. That's, uh, that's my uh, wheelhouse, you know, for lack of a better term. And, and that's what I love doing. And so, you know, starting Houston football, the website that I started is, you know, it's been fun. It's given me an, an outlet for a lot of the writing, which I didn't have with the radio station, you know, just didn't have the the time to really, you know, pour into that. So now I've got that time. And then, um, you know, being out there every day for training camp, you know, start to finish and asking the questions and coming up with the story stories and um, talking to the players and talking to D'Amico and, you know, Casario when camp starts and, you know, learning about this team and, and figuring out where they're going to go. It's, it's just been fun. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, thrilled to, to take this step and there's been some scary moments, but there's been a lot more fun moments since then. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys letting me talk about it. Yeah. And I think part of what's probably scary too, is you've, have you, when's the last time you've had to sell, you know, when's the last time you had to sell yourself to a new listener to a new, uh, venture to get into, get into a room, right. You've always had the, the banner of the radio station you're working for as I'm here with this station. Well, now you're here as you, um, you know, what's, what's that been like for you as far as still trying to get the same level of access without, um, you know, the big brand behind you. Yeah. From a, just a relationship with the Texans standpoint, you know, they've been fantastic. I, I, I was, I've been covering the team since I got back to Houston in 2014 and, um, you know, so just building a relationship to, you know, so that they trust me to, you know, be a you know respectable media member when I go out there and cover the team that, you know, that's certainly been uh, something I'm really thankful for from that perspective, from just working with the team. And then from just, you know, getting people to sort of, you know, trust me with their content, their entertainment, because that's what sports is. You know, I know, I know we call it sports, but it's entertainment. So, you know, I'm fighting, I'm fighting TikTok, I'm fighting, you know, TV, I'm fighting Netflix, I'm fighting other people on, you know, YouTube or other podcasts, you know, I, it's, it always is, I'm always thankful when somebody trusts me with their, you know, their valuable time. And, you know, either it's the time to read the articles or time to watch the YouTube videos or, or any of the things like that, you know, I'm always thankful for that. And I'm lucky that, you know, by virtue of having worked at sports radio, 610, having been on SB nation radio, you know, the, the national radio station that I was on um, at one point, having been on, ESPN 97.5, you know, I've been able to reach a lot of people that on my own, I wouldn't reach. And, you know, they've liked my work there and I've been able to, you know, sort of have them carry over with me to this venture. And so that's been, that's been a lot of fun and uh, I'm excited for what I've got in store and what I'm working up. And uh, it's always, it's always awesome to, you know, log into YouTube, see the comments on the videos or, you know, log into the site and see, um, you know, people putting comments on the articles or people sharing the articles or the interaction on Twitter. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's fantastic, man. I, I love it. Um, I hate to ask this, but I feel like, you know, with I got you on the line, I, I feel like I can't get by without, um, uh, without asking, but, you know, I was listening this week and obviously, uh, BK is leaving, um, the wheelhouse. And so, you know, how much of that, like discussions behind the scenes, do you think was, uh, I guess, behind the timing of how you came to this decision. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, BK is going to have a really fun endeavor talking Longhorns and UT and doing stuff with uh, some familiar faces that he used to work with in the past. And I'm excited for him and I'm excited for his endeavor. And, you know, I can't wait to see what, what he gets into. And, 
Um, you know, he's already off with a bang with a, with a lot of that stuff. So that's been, uh, it's been real cool to, to see that get off the ground. And, you know, I, for me, it was just a, you know, I, I made the decision on, on my own, on my, on myself, you know, so I, I didn't have any sort of idea of this was happening or that was happening. I just felt like, Hey, I want to cover the Houston Texans full time. This is the time to do it. And so I made that decision and, um, you know, it wasn't easy, you know, I, I, it, you know, going to work every day with, you know, two, three, your, your really good friends, you know, that's, that's a lot of fun, but you know, this is something that I really wanted to do. And I felt like if I didn't take this swing now, then I, I wouldn't have that opportunity um, or this opportunity set up the way it is you know, in the future. So I wanted to take that swing. And and how much of it do you have to look at it from a, a business like perspective as well, right? Because you know when you look at the sports landscape, the last you know call since twenty fifteen, uh, pretty Astros heavy with some some pretty high Rockets moments, and and, and the Texans definitely lagged behind, right? So the, the sports conversation, you know, at, at all the stations except maybe one who have to talk a majority Texans by contract really have evolved with the sports landscape. Well, now that. Um, you know, the Texans are, an, you know, call it an upstart. Um, there's not a lot of people equipped to, to really go in and, and talk about what's going on right now. Everybody's kind of lagging behind, um, playing a little bit of catch up with what's going on with that team. So how much do you look at it as, say, you know, investing in a tech startup or, or you know, getting a chance to, to be on the ground floor of a company? Um, you know, obviously you are starting a company, but, you know, when you're picking a sports team to, to go all in on like that, that's, you know, so young, it's got a regime change and everything like that. You know, is it somewhat like a business-like perspective where you're looking at and, and investing in, in Uber in the early days, essentially? Yeah, there's an element of it was the right time for the team and it was the right time for me. And, you know, if people weren't excited about this product, I wouldn't have an ability to, you know, go out there and, and, and talk about it and, and sustain that way. So, you know, having people be excited for it and then me being excited for it as well is, is part of the reason I, I go out there and I do this and I have this, uh, you know, this venture, this endeavor that I'm doing with Houston football, on my YouTube page. So yeah, part of it is, you know, the, the excitement around the team and, and that played into it. And, you know, for, for a while, I felt like primarily talking football is the way that, you know, my career is going to go. I just didn't know when that was going to happen. Um, and it just sort of hit a perfect storm of events of, Hey, this is where the team is. It's the time of year where I can make this decision. I can make this leap. And, um, I feel really good about where Houston is from a, you know, coverage standpoint of, is there anybody doing exactly what I'm doing? No, there's not like, you know, someone somewhere is, you know, not doing a, you know, one of the elements of what I'm doing, you know, the, I think Brooks Cabina does a fantastic job with the Chronicle, but you know, Brooks is not doing a, a bunch of videos, but Brooks is a better writer than I am, you know? So he has that, you know, going for him. Um, you know, Landry does a great job. Landry Locker, who's on sports radio 16. Well, he's, he's got, he's got a radio show that I don't have, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm primarily a digital product and um, you know, I'm going to capitalize from that, that digital landscape and, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hopefully be able to, take what I've got and find people that aren't on social media, find people that aren't on Facebook or don't see it on Twitter and say, Hey, you know, I, maybe you're 65 years old and you haven't ever heard of anything like this, or you didn't know something like this existed. I want to go find those people. And I want to give them, you know, the coverage that I bring to the table. And, and you know, I believe I'm, I'm doing it at a very high level and, you know, I don't, I'm not the best. I want to be the best, but I'm not the best. So you know, I, I got plenty of goals from, from that standpoint that I want to achieve too. 
If we can do anything, I, I hope it's to get anytime someone needs Texans thoughts for on, on from a national market, they go to John McClain. And and, and that's gotta stop. I, I I I have to do everything in my power to, to to get somebody else in that spotlight. So if we could at least do our our push here on this show to make you the guy that they call for Texans comments, I, I am all for it. Well what I was gonna say though is uh is you can find Cody's stuff on Substack, which I, I think is a terrific. Uh, I don't know how new the medium is. Uh, I've started writing some stuff daily on Substack, uh, but you you give us a breakdown of like you know eleven or twelve things that you see, you know, at each workout, and, and it's been invaluable for me because I'm officially I'm paid media. I mean, uh, SB Nation's paying me a nominal amount to write for Battle Red Blog. And what I wanted to ask before we go dive into the Texans is that how do you walk that line? Because you're actually there. We're not there. So we can take as many pot shots at the Texans as we want because we don't need access. But you're there. You need access. But you also want to be more of a, I guess, a upfront, honest, truthful, you know, viewer and give us the, an idea. So how do you walk that line? Uh, between trying to, you know, ingratiate yourself so you have access, but also being more honest for the fans. So my my goal with what I'm doing now is I want to be there for every fan that can't be there. So, you know, you, you didn't get tickets to training camp. You can't come out and see that. Not every practice is open. I, I want you to know what happened. I want you to know CJ Stroud did this or Willie Anderson did that. Like that's that's – I want to be the – eyes and ears for Texans fans. So I want to provide the what. And then once I give people the what, I want them to stick around for the why, how, and what's next. Like that's what I want to provide from that aspect. And I'll say from covering the Texans, I've covered them since I got back to town working for Sports Radio 610 in 2014. There have been two times since 2014 that anyone from the Houston Texans has ever said anything to me about what I said about the team. One of them was Monday night football, Cincinnati Bengals. And I said, I tweeted earlier in the day, you know what? I got a vibe. The Texans are winning tonight. I showed up for media availability later that week. And someone on the PR staff said, Hey, you're the only person that picked us to win. And I said, Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. You know, that's, I, I, I didn't do it to curry favor. I just thought they were going to win. You know, that was my opinion. Um, and then the other time I ever heard from somebody in the organization was uh, I was pretty critical of the Titus Howard selection. And someone said, hey, how much, you know, Alabama State footage did you watch? And my response was, well, you know, not a lot, but this draft analyst and this draft analyst and this draft analyst said this about him. I thought he was more of a second round pick. Go find another mock draft around that had Titus Howard going to the Texans in the second round like I did. And it was just, hey, you know, okay, can you can you give him a, you know, a little bit of a can you give him a little bit of an opportunity to kind of, you know, get his NFL legs under him. And I was like, yeah, everybody gets a fair shake. I'm just in the moment I've got to give the people my opinion. So the Texans have never been this like, you know, I think I think a lot of people in media are seeing what happened with the Baltimore Orioles right now. Now that's a team employee, but no one from the Texans has ever said anything about what I said about the team. So I'm honest. I don't make it personal. Um, and I just, I just call it like I see it. And that's my opinion. And people, 
I hope show up for my opinion and enjoy it. And I want to hear their opinions and I want to talk about it. So, you know, the, the, the Texans are, are a fantastic organization to work with. I've never had any problem with them. And um, it's, it's, it's not difficult to get along with them at all. No, I have to agree. I, I had a chance to, to go out to training camp myself when I was at the, a different radio station. They're very warm and welcoming and, um, yeah, fantastic organization to be around. So let's actually start talking a little bit of Texans, right? Because as you said, you've you've been on the sidelines. You're you're there to to give the people who aren't there a chance to know what's going on. Well, you know, I wasn't there, so uh, you know, I, I kind of want to know what's going on. The reports I've I've been following you and some other people who you know it looks like CJ Stroud looks pretty good out there. You know, at least as as promised, and and um, you know, obviously some rookie moments, but. Uh, a lot of exciting things coming out of the offense, at least, right, that, that we've seen so far early in camp. Yeah, so it, the first couple of days, you know, it took a little bit of the offense to kind of get going, and that was sort of a storyline to pay attention to. And, you know, D'Amico Ryan said, hey, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Every camp I've ever been in, the defense starts ahead of the offense. We talked to Bobby Slowick early in camp, and he's like, there's a lot that we have to put in to get this offense going. And once we start putting in a good foundation – and start building off of it, you know, we're going to have some success. And that's ultimately what's happened. You know, the offense has been able to go toe-to-toe with the defense, you know, past few days. And, um, you know, it was a couple of times in the past few practices, you know, come out on top ahead of the defense, which is, you know, for the first, I feel like six or seven practices, it was all defense pretty much. You know, but the offense has caught up and, you know, there's some, there's some talent on that standpoint. So that's just kind of been the – the big picture thing, offense versus defense, but the offense is all about CJ Stroud. And I feel like that's where you know people want to hear the most things. And it's been really fun to watch him from the first couple of days, you know, through, through six practices, you know, I was kind of doing a, uh, I was kind of, I was joking around, I was doing combat sports um, scoring each day, you know, 10, nine day or a nine, nine day. If, you know, neither guy had a really good day or if both guys had really good days, a 10, 10 day, you know, so through through six practices, it was tied. There were two ties. There were two Davis Mills days and two C.J. Stroud days. Then they had a day off, and coming out of that day off, C.J. Stroud just, you know, he, he never looked back. And he was out there just, you know, the growth, even within a practice. You know, he'll miss a throw early in a drill. He comes back, he makes that throw the next time. In teams, he'll miss a throw to Nico Collins down the left side. The next time they run that play, you know, it's perfectly placed right into the basket. Um, for a couple of days, there was some, you know, some messy pocket stuff that he was dealing with. He didn't quite handle it great. I think one of the best elements was he, he took a snap and the pocket got kind of messy and he went to kind of try to get the ball to Andrew back out in the flat. And it, it was, it's a little late on the play and he comes over the sideline. Well, then Andrew, Andrew Beck comes over and talks to him. And then quarterback coach Sherrod Johnson talks to him. Then offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick comes over and talks to him. And then Case Keenum came over and talked to him. And by then, he knew exactly what he'd done wrong. And probably when he was walking off the field, he knew what he did wrong. But that was really hammered home. And so in the past few practices, you know, quick decisions. Messy pockets aren't as difficult for him to handle. You know, he's doing some, some to, you know, on, on Tuesday, he did sort of a, uh, it was like a one-footed leaning throw to the sideline. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't know he had that in him. You know, you, you see sometimes these, giant arm guys. Mahomes is one of them. Stafford's done it in the past. Allen's that type of guy. They can throw the ball almost however they want from any arm angle. Well, Stroud showcased one of those on Tuesday, and I was like, ooh, I didn't 
I didn't know he had that. So yeah, Stroud's been a fun watch. Um, it's a, it's a, it's Deshaun Watson esque in that in 2017, you watch training camp, you knew Deshaun Watson was the starter. Uh, you watch training camp now, you you know CJ Stroud's the starter, regardless of what coaches say or or anything else. You, you know he's the better quarterback and should be taking the snaps when game time gets here. You know one thing I lo- uh, love talking to people who are actually there. Uh, way back in the day, I used to coach high school volleyball. So, you know, not football, uh, I had teenage girls and it was, you know, wonderful, but I think what's probably true across all sports is that when you're scrimmaging against yourself, it can look like you're absolutely the best team that's out there, but it's not until you actually start seeing some joint practices and preseason games. But since you've been there years past, how much better is this football team going to be in your estimation than what we see in the past few years? The chances of them being competitive for four quarters for 17 games is the highest it's been in the past three years. You know, you think about David Culley's season, you think about Lovey Smith's season. I, I, I didn't believe in those guys. And I mean, my God, Lovey Smith would go to the podium and talk about how well a team played in the second half when the Miami Dolphins had beat their heads in in the first half. Like, I was disgusted when I would hear stuff like that, but this team, the, the veterans that they've brought in the coaching that they're receiving, the young guys that they have, the, the floor is a lot higher. Is it going to immediately translate to wins? I don't, I don't know. I I certainly believe that there's a higher probability that they're going to win than the past couple of seasons. Uh, But there's certainly some factors that they've got to work through still. But that floor is a lot higher. I, I, I don't believe there's any chance they're one of the four, or five worst teams in football, which would be a big improvement over where they've been the past couple of seasons. And part of that is the players are better, and the other part of that is is, is this coaching staff just seems more modern. It seems more believable. It seems like the players can buy in, and it looks better at training camp. You know, there's. I thought the defense had a a a a pretty solid day on Tuesday, and D'Amico Ryan's got to the podium Tuesday after practice and was like, "Yep, energy wasn't where we wanted it to be, and you know the the, the defense has got to pick that up." And I was like, "I thought they kind of actually had a pretty good day, but you know, the, 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 there's not a lot of satisfaction in the building, and there's been a big emphasis, a really big emphasis from Slowick, from D'Amico Ryan's, from a lot of the players." They want to put in a foundation that they can build on. And I know every coach says that. And I know David Culley said that. And I know Lovey Smith said that. But you can believe these guys are going to put in a foundation that this organization can build on. And so, yeah, it does feel better. And I, I think Monday was one of the best examples of it is different than it has been the past couple of years. And I wrote about this for for Houston football, www.houfootball.com. I wrote about this. like an offensive tackle went down and you had a guy who started, you know, a ton of games in the NFL to replace him in George Fant. When Dwayne Brown was in a contract dispute with this team in 2017, you had guys like Chris Clark and Kendall Lamb filling in for him at left tackle. Like that was atrocious. You know, D'Amico Ryan says Monday, yeah, I've been chasing a guy like Sheldon Rankins for a couple of seasons now, hoping he's on my team. And then you had Bill O'Brien chasing down people like Chris Polk and Aaron Colvin and Randall Cobb to be on his team. Like, 
Like the, the organization just feels and acts much different than it has even in the good O'Brien years, certainly the bad O'Brien years, and then the past two seasons, which have been pretty difficult for everybody to watch and consume. You mentioned the staff a couple times, and you know I, I was reading some of the reports of the offense, and they were talking about a lot of the, the uh, zone runs outside um, that they were installing. And, and I, I just have to ask, obviously there's going to be some, some Kubiak, you know, Kubiakian elements in the offense when you look at the coaching tree. Um, but, you know, how different is this offense going to look from, from say, when Matt Schaub was under center? Because obviously, you know, C.J. Stroud, different kind of guy, you know, in college, spent a lot of time in, in the shotgun. Is that what he's going to continue to see? Or are we going to see a guy who's under center a lot of time, uh, a lot of play action role, bootleg, you know, a lot of things off of that, strong tight end. You know, what are we looking at here? So Case Keenum said the other day that this offense is the greatest hits of the West Coast offense. And I thought that was a, a, a pretty fun explainer. And I would tell you that they're not married to any particular thing. So you're going to see times where it looks like Gary Kubiak. I mean, I, I can, I can remember many a time where Matt Schaub hits a play action rollout and there's not a defensive lineman within 20 yards of him. And he's making a real nice play. You know, I can remember that vividly from the Kubiak years, but I can also look at San Francisco last year and they just absolutely would destroy teams that played zone defense against them. And the majority of defense in the NFL ends up being a zone defense. You know, this is, this is actually a big movement in the fantasy community to break down how many defenses turn into a zone defense, even shortly after the snap. And the majority of defense in the NFL ends up being a zone. So who gets in space, who catches the ball in space. And when you catch the ball in space, are you moving or are you static? Cause O'Brien ran an offense and Tim Kelly continued it. And even Pep Hamilton, the offense was very static. You know, guys are not catching the ball in motion. Guys are not catching the ball and running. Y- yards after catch were a-, a rarity. You know, I remember that being a criticism of, of DeAndre Hopkins. And it's like, well, the offense isn't necessarily set up for him to be yards after catch, nor is he that type of receiver. But like there there were some, you know, some some old head football players that were like, hey, he just doesn't get enough yards after catch. Well, the offense isn't scheduled that way. They're going to get in space. They're going to attack weaknesses on teams. And I don't know that this team right now has a strength. So there's going to be some figuring out, okay, what exactly does the, 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 does the Houston Texans offense do well? And as they figure that out, okay, they're going to force teams to give them the opportunity where they can maximize what they do, do well. But you're, you're going to see some Kubiak style stuff. You're going to see some stuff from San Francisco. You're going to see some stuff in shotgun. But, you know, C.J. Stroud hadn't struggled under center at all. Uh, you know, him, him, and, him and Juice Scruggs look to be on the same page. And they're going to make him as comfortable as possible. And Davis Mills talked about this. His first couple of seasons in the NFL, the offenses were so QB-focused. The quarterback did everything. He called out the mic. He, he did the protection. He you know, all, all these things. This offense, they take a lot of that out of the quarterback's hands. They, 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 they put some of that on to the offensive lineman. The offensive coordinator helps out a ton in getting the quarterback set up and ready and, and, and squared away for the plays. And so they're going to try to make Stroud comfortable. Hey, find the guy that's open. If there's not a big play there, 
you know, get a couple of yards. Let's keep this thing going. So it may, it may look a little rudimentary early, but once they get that base in and they understand what they're doing and the wide receivers get deeper into this thing and Stroud sees how NFL teams are approaching him, there's a potential to build on this offense. I'm pretty excited about Bobby Slowick and everything I've, you know, understood from players interacting with him and then interacting with the players talking about him and, and even talking with him about, you know, some of the minutia of his offense. And he's like, look, my, my favorite thing he said was, you know, the, the playbook is just lines on a piece of paper. You know, ultimately he wants the offense to get to the point where he's not a factor where sort of, he puts together the, you know, he, he puts the play call in and then Stroud and the players, you know, handle everything from that moment on. Like he doesn't want to have to be a heavy factor in the offense. They're a long ways away from that. That's going to be a lot of, you know, just time in the game till they can build that. But I'm excited about this offense. All right. So you're listening to this, hopefully on a Wednesday morning, uh, the, the preseason openers tomorrow, I'm going to take away CJ Stroud, Will Anderson, because I think everybody is focused on them and rightfully so. Who are just a, like a couple of guys on offense and defense that you're really looking forward to watching to see what they got? Well, offense, you got to look at Tank Dell. Uh, this is, Tank Dell is, I know he's tiny. I know that the size is not ideal, but Tank Dell is the type of wide receiver that gives defenses fits. Uh, he's quick. He runs crisp routes. He gets open. He's not afraid to go up and try to get a ball to, you know, sort of account for the fact that he is a smaller wide receiver. He's the guy on offense that, you know, I'd pay a lot of attention to because he's sort of a potential X factor for this wide receiver group along with John Mechie because those guys have got that versatility, play a little inside, play a little outside. Uh, Mechie is a little bit smoother than Dell, but he's not as dynamic. You know, dynamic uh, – Dell's got a lot more, you know, dynamic play to him from just – you know, the speed and the quickness. Uh, but Mechie and Dell at the wide receiver spot, you know, paying a lot of attention to those guys, however long they play. You know, there's there's only a handful of receivers on this team. Like, I, you know, I know there's, you know, I, I would anticipate Nico Collins is going to play very little, if at all, um, and, and maybe even the same with Robert Woods. But, you know, Noah Brown's got inside-outside versatility. Mechie and Dell, like Mechie and Dell are two guys that should play a little bit with Stroud as long as he plays, and then maybe even play a little bit with um, Davis Mills as well. So those guys on offense, you know, you got to pay to pay attention to the to the guard and the center as long as they play. You know, Kenyon Green at left guard and and Juice Scruggs at center as long as they're playing. You know, it's something to, to to watch from those guys. Not a ton to watch from the running back spot. You know, it's it's Damian Pierce, it's Devin Singletary, and then it's just a bunch of other guys. I don't know that there's a third guy that sort of you know separated himself. So maybe if you're paying attention to you know who the third running back's going to be, you, you pay attention to everybody that's not those top two guys. And then on defense, um, Henry To'o To'o has been an incredible watch. You know, this is a guy that was undersized and did not test well athletically from a scouting standpoint and from a combine and, and lead up to the draft standpoint. But everything you read about Toto is he's basically a football savant. There's a, the old, the old rumor and the old story about, you know, he showed up at Alabama after transferring from Tennessee and a couple of days in, he told the coaches, yeah, you know, I, I know the defense, you know, let me call it. And they were like, you don't, you don't know the defense. And then he went out there and practiced, and he and he knew the defense well enough that basically from the moment he stepped on campus, he called the defense at Alabama. And so, 
he's been flying around, you know, for a guy that's supposed to be undersized and not super athletic. He doesn't appear that way on the field. So he's going to be a fun watch. You know, it's a, it's a weird number for a linebacker 39, you know, but uh, he's going to be running around. That's a guy that I'd pay a, lo- a lot of attention to. Um, the secondary is kind of set to me. Um, just like, you know, I, I know who the corners are roughly going to be. It was Stingley and Steven Nelson. I know who the safeties are going to be with Ward and Petrie. Petrie's looked phenomenal in training camp, by the way. Uh, it, it feels like he is everywhere. Um, and it, it's, it's really, it, it kind of feels like Baylor Jalen Petrie, where he just, he is everywhere. He was everywhere for Baylor. He feels that way in training camp. But, uh, you know, Shaquille Griffin as a depth piece from the cornerback standpoint and pay a little attention to him. Cat Blake Cashman has played really well in training camp. I'd like to see if that translates to uh, a game as well. And then there's a, there's a very clear pecking order on the defensive tackle room. So I know for sure Sheldon Rankins and Malik Collins are on this team. And I, I got a real good hunch that Hassan Ridgeway is on this team. So there's three guys. Well, the 49ers kept four in their initial 53 last year. So if there's only one spot, you got Roy Lopez, you got Kurt Heinish, you know, Thomas Booker's been hurt, but you know, if he's back in the equation, maybe he's, you know, a factor there. Ali Gay's played a little bit of defensive tackle for them at times, the rookie out of LSU, the undrafted kid. So paying attention to defensive tackle is going to be, going to be fun as well. And that's a position that can get a lot of work regardless of who's on the field at defensive tackle. So those are the few names. To'o To'o is probably to me the, the fun one because he'll show up from a play recognition and, you know, just put his nose in in there standpoint. I, I, I think he'll jump off the page. You mentioned a couple guys that up until 2023, you know, were not in the same conference and uh, Tank Dell and um, you know, Jalen Petrie at Baylor, UH and Baylor, but now they are, right? The you know, realignment setting in, UH officially joining the Big 12. It seems like we're going to have a nice, calm summer. And then, boom, uh, things kind of blew up on us last week a little bit as we, you know, here in the showbiz, do what I'm doing, a little nice smooth transition. But, um, you know, the Big 12 is now, I think, what, the Big 16. Uh, and that's going to be with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Looks like the, the Pac-12 is is Sayonara or, or maybe they'll combine with the WAC or something like that. It's, it's what is going on out there in the landscape of college football. And, and at the end of the day, I think my biggest question for you is, is it good for the student athlete? I think it's good for the TV people. It's good for the, you know, the regions at the university who get the bigger checks from TV contracts and things like that. But for the student athlete, who's got to come back and take a test after flying from, uh, you know, Arizona to Houston to play a basketball game and then going back to Arizona and then you got to take a test the next day. Is that really beneficial to what we've coined the term student athletes? No, it's not. But, you know, my, you know, this is one of the dirty little aspects of entertainment, really. Uh, do, do, do I totally care how much it affects the person who's entertaining me? You know, you go see a stand up comedian, they've been on the road probably, you know, for a year, you know, going to a different town every weekend. Uh, you know, you, you watch people who do these, you, you hear about how Christopher Nolan does Oppenheimer and how much work it takes to, to do that. And the incredible toll it takes on actors and actresses to, to create, you know, TV shows and movies. And then you think about college athletes and 
It's like, yes, it's not great for them from the student athlete standpoint, but they still show up on Saturday. They're still there on my TV when I'm sitting on my couch and I turn on and I watch the game. So I, I don't totally think about that a lot of times. It, it, the ultimate part is it's people have let the money um, dictate things in college football and, and, and how they're going to organize these things. But the money sort of always dictated how things uh, have been organized in college football and the players have always paid the price. But at the same time of them paying the price, you know, they have an experience that is unique and different and coveted by so many other, uh, you know, students who could never even dream of, of achieving some of the things that even, you know, your back of the roster football player achieves or your back of the roster volleyball player achieves. So it's not great from a student athlete standpoint. I just, the harsh reality of life is I don't know that many people care about that aspect. I, I think they just want to make sure that their favorite team is on TV as much as possible. And it's not really difficult to find them. And that's what these big networks are trying to do is to make sure that the biggest teams, the biggest fan bases and the most people can find their team as easy as possible. And they can get as many eyeballs on these games as possible. Okay, so you got to correct me if I'm wrong. You're a tech guy, right? I am. So you have right here in this podcast, you've got a U of H guy and Tim. You've got a TCU guy here. You got a tech guy and Cody. So where you know this? I guess your opportunity to a talk some trash if you feel like uh, your team can back it up. But uh, where do you see the you know the football uh, the football season going this year in the Big Twelve with you know Texas and OU still in there? I, I don't believe in Oklahoma, uh, and I, I won't believe in Oklahoma as long as Brent Venables is the coach. I, I feel like he's just a, a dunce, and the way that they ran Lincoln Riley out of town or treated him or, or, or let him get away, however you want to phrase it, whatever you want to say, uh, is just despicable. And you know, Oklahoma's going to be a monster when they get a coach that's better than Venables. So I don't believe in him. And it'd be a total joke if Texas doesn't win this conference this year. And they're bringing back a ton of guys. Quinn Ewers is back. Sark's in a, you know, a year where he should be really successful. If Texas doesn't win this conference on the way out the door and at least, you know, spend some portion of the season in the conversation for the college football playoff, that's a joke, you know, but UT has been an underachieving program for a long time. So it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if they underachieve. And then it's just sort of filling in the gaps from there, from the big, from the uh, big 12 standpoint, like, I, you know, there's a lot of people that really are excited about Texas Tech's prospects this season. And I like this Tech team. I, I went to the bowl game in Houston. My wife's a Techie. And, uh, you know, that uh, McGuire's a great, great vibe off that guy. We had the sideline passes where we got to meet him. Uh, you know, it, it, I like him. I like him a lot, man. I, I like y'all's chances this year in the Big 12. Man, it's, it's, it, to me, it's just going to be a big dogfight for who's, you know, Who's two, who's three, who's four, you know, Kansas state's bringing back some guys from a successful K state team. And it doesn't feel like they're getting a ton of respect. Sonny Dykes is clearly one of the best coaches in the nation. Like you saw what he did with TCU last year. And yeah, there's a lot of turnover and a lot of guys leave, but you know, that's a really good coach that could make, uh, you know, a lot out of a little, even if there is some turnover, um, you know, at, at different times, you know, Dave Aranda has been one of the better coaches in the nation. So, you know, is Baylor going to sneak up and bite some people on a week to week basis? Like, I don't know that there's a big dog this upcoming season outside of Texas. The thing long-term for the big 12 that I wonder is I wonder if they invited a new big dog and they didn't realize it. 
And you look at what Utah has been able to accomplish in the past couple of seasons in the Pac-12, that's one of the most consistent programs in the nation. And now all of a sudden, there's a reason for people who live in Texas to go to Utah because they're going to play a bunch of games in the state. Like, I, I think that's a sleeping giant that the Big 12 didn't realize that they brought in. And then that's the, that's the team that I'd point to post-Texas to maybe run this thing because I, I, they've done an incredible job and they're only going to get better from where they are. And then it's just sort of a, you know, any given year for anybody else. Like, I don't know that there's going to be a constant presence in the Big 12 outside of that Utah team going forward. You know, no, no, you know, you know, I got to say, the thing that kept, like, they have conspired against the University of Houston for years to keep them out of a, a major conference because the some of the best recruits in the nation for any sport that you want to look at reside in the nation in the in the city of Houston. And so now when you I totally agree that they invited a sleeping giant. It may be Utah as well, but it's gonna be UH. Like I I in my mind, once this like the basketball program's already there, and we can talk basketball with this conference all day. It's gonna be an elite basketball conference, especially with the teams that have been added. It was already a, a fantastic. Now it's just it's elite. It is an elite basketball conference, and UH will lead that way. But then you also look at this is a fantastic football program coming in. The success has been there in the last few years. Last year's a little bit of a dip, and you're still a seven, eight win team. So I think when you have the ability to recruit against UT and, and, and be in the same conference and say, look, you, we're an up-and-coming program. We spent money. We got we got Big Daddy Fertitta ready to to open those milky titties up and let the money flow. You know, we're going to be there. We're going to ready. We're ready to roll. You know, I will say um, it's time. You know, I, I, I think the H-Town takeover is, is happening. And uh, we, I don't think we're going to win the conference this year, but you look long-term. I think that's legitimately a sleeping giant because there's money there. Uh, Rene Couture is a phenomenal, phenomenal leader of a university who will put their team in, in a great place. And you've got money. At the end of the day, the, the thing that's kept UT alive is their donors. They've got money. Well, like, we've got money now. We've got, we've got money to spend, and we're in an elite conference. So there's nothing that's going to hold UH back anymore. We always used to joke we always, about Utah, you know, that they're going to bring in the inner city morbid kids that can play, you know, that's, but you know, it's funny you mentioned that. And, and I guess my question is, because I was looking at the basketball version of this as well. Should the big 12 be finished or should we be looking at 18 or, you know, cause I mean, I, there, I look at what's left of the, I guess the four pack, are we going to call them that now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't really have any extreme interest in any of those remaining teams, but, you know, Boise State always was out there. You always like, you know, at least in football, that seemed like a, you know, a pretty good addition to a conference. You know, the Big Ten's got 18 now. The SEC, I think, is what going to be 14 or 16, I think. So, I mean, I guess the, the only question will be what happens with the ACC, whether they – end up being the next one to be cannibalized, you know, by these big three conferences that seem to be emerging. Go get Notre Dame. Go get Notre fucking Dame right now. I know they have some shit lined up with the ACC, but you know what? Like you're like, I feel like let's take it. They're a golf named podcast. You're on a hot streak, Scott. You're, you've, you've gone birdie, birdie, birdie. 
and you're and you're sitting 250, you're in the middle of a fairway into a par five. You fucking go for it. You go for that par five and you go get Notre Dame. You get that girl. We're not kissing cousins. We're going after the prom queen. Yeah, the, no chance on Notre Dame. They got a sweetheart of a deal, and that thing will last for as long as they want it to last. So no chance there. I, I'd, I'd stay put if I was the Big 12. I don't know that you're adding any sort of incredible value with anybody that's realistically out there that can be had. So I'd stay put and see how it works for a couple of years because you're not even going to see how it all works until – two years from now, like you're not even going to have a full understanding of how it's all going to work. Cause you got a different, you got one conference this year. It's going to be totally different. You're going to have to go through a whole year of it just to figure out how everything works from that standpoint. So it's, it's going to take a while to figure out how stuff works with the way it's going to be built after this season. So, you know, just go, go through a year, see how everything looks and feels. And, you know, I, I suppose if you could get, you know, if Nebraska felt like they just fit better in the Big 12 and you could get something like that going. But, like, you know, the Big Ten's got a lot of money, and I don't know that Nebraska wants to, you know, leave some money on the table to change. But that, that that's the that's the last frontier of realignment is somebody leaving one mega conference for the other mega conference. And I just don't know how realistic that is with some of the complications of TV contracts and things like that. So I, I hope this is all done because – ultimately it's, I think it's a good thing from a viewer standpoint. It's obviously, look, it's horrible. If you're a Washington state fan, if you're an Oregon state fan, like it sucks. Like this is going to be terrible for you. I'm not sorry. I'm not, I'm a Texas tech fan. It's great for me. You know? So like, you know, it's going to be a fun conference. Could be some fun matchups. Could be some teams I don't see very often. Could be some new fun trips for me to go on to watch my team, you know? So it's, it's going to be good for a lot of fans and just, just kind of see how it goes. I, I wouldn't go about adding anything just to add if I was the Big 12. I'm amped for the Boulder trip. I, I'm amped for the, the UH Boulder game is going to be lit E and it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. I'm going to hopefully get some special candies that make you feel nice and warm <laughs> on the inside. Um, but no, let's let's take a little little tour to the Broadway city. Uh, you know, the Astros rolling into New York after, you know, some big splashes. You had the the trade deadline. You've got Fromber's no hitter, and then I, I know that there was a split there. But to me, that that felt like a big fat egg that the Astros laid. Uh, you lost ground to the Rangers. Um, the Yankees are not a, a good team this year. They don't hit well, uh, and, and the bullpen again um, just just couldn't seem to find a way. Now they they found the Astros found a way to to pull one out of you know Death's door today uh a tuesday but you know not sure what what to feel right now with the rangers beating up on the a's and, and the astros playing the best team in baseball you know missing their chance to beat up on a not so good team a yeah, big bummer that you, you couldn't really you know put a put a big dent in what the yankees have had for a bad season but look it, this is a team that very much I don't, I, didn't, I don't know that I always felt this way this season, and I really didn't, to be honest with you. There were a couple of times where I think specifically after the Cincinnati Reds swept the Astros, I thought to myself, yeah, th- this is going to be a weird season. and It's not going to be you know, super easy uh, like it's felt in the past couple of years from a regular season standpoint. I still very much believe this is a team and an organization that you put them in the playoffs and 
they're going to be a tough out. And I, I have felt that way because you've seen championship DNA signs throughout the course of the season with this team. And you've seen it enough to the point where you should feel pretty confident come playoff time. This team's going to be dialed in and dialed up and be ready to go. So just get to the playoffs. Yes. The West would be nice and win the West. And I still don't believe in the Rangers being able to hold this thing together as long as they need to. Um, but once they get in the playoffs, nobody's going to want to see uh, Houston on, on their schedule. Yeah. You I, mentioned those championship signs. Kyle Tucker tonight, you know, that game was lost realistically. You had a poor pitching performance from Fromber, uh, no run support literally whatsoever. And then uh, John Singleton getting his first at bat in almost 10 years with the Astros starts to walk, things go your way. And, and Kyle Tucker hits a grand slam to pull one out. It's, it, it seems like there's been teams in the past that placed the level of the competition around them. And, and that 2021 team that lost the Braves was one like that too, where it seemed like they could just turn it on and turn it off when they wanted to. Uh, and then unfortunately in the, in the world series, they just didn't turn it back on, but um, you know, different DNA this year. And, and I think there's been so many injuries the on and off have a lot to do with that, but sure. um, would love to see, uh, maybe a little bit more consistency out of the bats. And I think a lot of that has to do with, with Dusty's inability to understand who the best nine players are and get them on the field as much as possible. But, uh, you know, if if the American workforce got as many days off uh, as the Astros' best players do with Dusty Baker in charge, there'd never be a need for a union. Like if Dusty Baker was your manager, it'd be like a random Tuesday. Hey, bro. Take a pay day today. You don't need to come in. You've been working hard. We got that company barbecue on Wednesday. So you take today, you roll it into that barbecue, and then you'll be fresh for Thursday, Friday. We're going to have a great fucking week. Let's go. Well, from a historical standpoint, you know, what's funny is you're, you're talking about the Rangers. The Rangers remind me a lot of the 2015 Astros where they were – it was the first year we were good. And you remember, we were the wild card that year. I mean, we were in first place for most of the season. And then just absolutely shit the bed, you know, down the stretch. The Rangers took over. I keep waiting for the Rangers to play somebody that's actually good. I mean, they've they've lost us. I mean, we're going to win the boot again. I mean, unless something drastic happens. And I, I keep waiting. They're playing the A's. Come on. That's like, you know, might as well be playing the AAA affiliate. But the <laughs> Astros went through this. Uh, the Astros, like in 79, because I remember, you know, growing up as a kid, 79, we're starting to look good. The Reds were still the Reds for one more year. And then 1980, the Astros take over. And the Reds kind of become whatever it is they've been for the last 40-something years. I mean, this Rangers team – they're on the come. I mean, they're going to get here eventually. I think this is going to be that last year that we can, you know, take over the division, win the division. But to me, this is nut crunching time. To what Tim's point, it's time for the best nine guys to be on the diamond every fucking day. And the guy behind the dish, the best guy, I'm sorry, is Yanir Diaz. It's not it, – it, I love Martin Maldonado. Love him. He is great for the 21 hours of the day that you're not playing baseball. He is great at preparing. He is great at, like, looking at hitters on the other team. I mean, he would be a great guy to sit there and say, hey, you sit next to this guy 
and you talk to him, but you know, when we're hitting, you talk to him about, you know, what pitcher you're going to call when you're out there next, but he needs to stop being on the field so much. He's, you know, he's in his mid thirties, which you you might as well be in your mid forties if you're a catcher in your mid thirties. And he's, he's going to catch nearly 120 games. I mean, that's insane. I, I mean, I don't get it. You hear, you know, you hear Dusty's comments. Well, they're almost equal offensively. Like, wait, wait. I, I want to check him to see if he had the same thing as Mitch McConnell. Because I was like, are, are you okay? Do you need help? You know, what's going on here? Yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to see hey, when it gets to – you know, playoff time when it gets to, you know, you're a game out and there's three games left. What's Dusty doing? Who's he putting in the lineup? Who's he trusting? And the the, the thing that I think is an interesting, it, it doesn't feel like the players necessarily have given up on the benefits of Maldonado. So it's like, yes, we could all be upset, but was, we know that locker room, if they don't feel like it's going the right way, They'll say something. I mean, I think back to Keuchel a few years ago when the trade deadline didn't go right. And he went out there and he's like, yeah, we screwed it up, you know, or, you know, ahead of, ahead of this trade deadline. It's yeah, it'd been, been a little disappointing if we didn't do something. And he goes, well, what Dusty said, you know, that was kind of the mood of the, the team really. So it's like, I, I think if they really felt like they, they're just not going to be able to get it done with Maldonado, you know, we'd know it from a player perspective or, or there'd been a little crack in the armor, so to speak, but, you know, I, 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 until it's, you know, a do or die time and Maldonado's taking care of business, I'm not going to be too terribly upset. But, you know, getting Diaz some valuable at-bats here down the stretch and 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 getting him ready for potentially that role would, would behoove the Astros, sure. Yeah, I mean, he's the catcher of the future. Maldonado's only realistically got so much time left to him. And, and the guy's shown he's, he's fine he's fine to great to good defensively has the ability to be great and and the bat is is more than you could want for a catcher at this point so the fact that on a regular I, I feel out of a week we put our best nine out there two times and it's and it's it's silly to me you know I, I understand that there's an outfield spot that you've had to fill all season because Uncle Mike's not healthy but when you look at the way this team's constructed right now uh you know you have the ability to put Alvarez in left field and Chaz in center and, and D.H. Singleton. And you've got some real lumber in the, in the lineup. But I don't think we'll ever see that lineup. I don't think Dusty's willing to do that. Or, you know, you have the ability to to play Dubon at second, D.H. Altuve, play uh, Alvarez in left, play Singleton at first. Okay, here we've got some real lumber. You know, we've, we've taken care of some of these deficiencies possibly. And I don't mean to be too high on Singleton, but – you know, the guy can straight mash, you know, and, and if he hits the same batting average that Abreu does, I'll take Singleton because I think he's going to hit more homers at the end of the day because he just runs into more fastballs. But we just don't do it. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know. Like Dusty and, and, and Jim Crane are, are friends, and I get it. Like Dusty's been successful here. At the end of the day, it's we can all nitpick and say what we want, but the guy's been to an ALCS on a, on a COVID-shortened season, and, and he came into a weird environment and still somehow found a way to get it done went to a World Series, and then won another World and won a World Series. So, like, at the end of the day, yeah, we could all gripe and moan. We could be like, man, I wish Dusty did this or I wish Dusty did that. But, you know, at the end, Dusty can look at us all and just say, scoreboard, bitches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, he's 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 got that until he costs him. 
And I feel like there's a chance and there's a conversation to be had about 2021 and some of the adjustments he maybe could have made early in the World Series that might have cost them. Ultimately, guys just didn't hit. Um, and then for this year, hey, you just hope that some of Dusty's loyalty to some of these guys doesn't cost them. I, I, they've got the talent where hopefully they're going to make their manager right uh, when, when push comes to shove. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with Tim and with you, both of you guys on that one. I mean, my, my hope is that, you know, the season kind of runs its runs its course, whatever's going to happen. And, you know, I hope Dusty retires. That's my hope. Uh, Joe Espada looks like a good young guy. He's going to be, you know, going to be a good you know, good manager. I'd love to see Maldonado come around and be either a bench coach or a roving instructor. Sure. You know, in the minor leagues. I mean, I think he's got he's got a future manager written all over him, and you know, and, and I, you know, I honestly like him because you know he's he's giving you everything he's got. It's just not a whole lot at this point. Uh, obviously, you traded Corey Lee and in, in the Grayman deal, so I mean, you're betting on Diaz uh, pretty heavy. Uh, I would love to know. I guess you know, going into next year you know, what the plan is in left field along with Jordan. Because you signed Brantley. As far as I'm concerned, Brantley's Brantley's a myth. He, you're, you're not seeing him again. He's not going to play this year. Um, and he might be retired. You know, he. I don't know if, if the injuries are all that analogous, but he kind of reminds me of Bagwell towards the end where Bagwell just really couldn't go. And everybody kept hoping he would he could go and be, hey, be that he guy. Some, he gave some clutch at bats in that World Series run. Bagwell came in, and if Brantley did that, if Brantley came in and gave you like eight random good at bats in the world and like a World Series run, I'd be like, "Fuck it, it was worth it." Hold on, I take it, it, but the whole thing is so next year you got to wonder. Okay, is Corey Jokes? Hey, Clearbrook boy down here. Uh, my daughter goes to Clearbrook, so, you know, kind of rooting for that guy to succeed. Is he an everyday left fielder, or is he like a fourth or fifth outfielder along the lines of Jake Myers? Uh, and you got to answer that question, because if you think he's a reserve outfielder, you got some, you know, free agent money. You could go out there and spend, and you could sign yourself a guy. If you think he's really good, they could, could be a good everyday player, Maybe you could add some more depth to this pitching staff in the offseason. I mean, I think you've got some options. It's just you need to be able to get answers for those questions. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 long, we're a long way away from let, – let, let's see if we're worried about this after a parade or not before we start worrying about next year. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah a little early on that one. But, you know, the Astros did have their uh, White House celebration yesterday, and I, I don't know if you saw the picture or not, but um, – I don't know if you guys ever did the old, you know, someone come up from behind you, a little finger up, you know, your dad hits you with the finger up from behind in the, in the you know, rear end area. But it, if you look at Dusty's face to that picture, it looks like Jim Crane's giving him the old little woohoo as like the picture's going off because Dusty's face is just, just looks like someone's creeping at the back door. It is absolutely fantastic. Man, that's, that's a guy that, uh, that's a guy that's waited a long ass time to have the president of the United States stand up on a stage and to call him a world champion. That's what, that's what that face is. Also, I do want to say one thing uh, about what Scott said, Uh, a name that I've been infatuated with for a couple of years from a minor league perspective, Pedro Leon. He's having one of his best professional seasons this year at triple a. That's a guy that's long-term we can think about for 
the outfield as well. I didn't want to leave Pedro my my Pedro Leon love out. Yeah, a lot of versatility there too. Yeah, we love, we love versatility on this on this big league squad, and, and you know, you know ah, Leon can play second, short, center, left. Yep, uh, could get a lot of positions done for you. But it, real quick too, just on the White House visit, you mentioned how long Dusty'd want to been there or had wanted to go, obviously. But I really enjoyed some of Biden's comments about uh, you know just the way this team represents the community, you know, and and I, I appreciated that he took a, a moment to recognize the work that the team did with the Evaldi families and bringing them out on a bus and, and bringing them out to a game. And, um, you know, it, I, I think as Astros fans, we have kind of come to expect that from our franchise simply because this is, I, I grew up in Houston, so I saw them do this my whole life, but um, you know, just nice to see it recognized on a national level that, you know, our team does go out of their way to do some, some really great things for, for some people in, in the uh, in the greater Houston family. Yeah, I was going to say, Dusty is a good dude. As, as much as we might, uh, uh, Tim and I might bag on him, he's a really good dude. And the thing is, you don't win 2,100-plus games at the major league level without doing something right. And the thing is, is that he's got a great – He's got a great personality. He's got a great rapport with these players, and they just love playing for him. And you know, there's there's a lot to be said for that. And as a guy who's coached at least on some level, you know, having the the players buy into what you're doing is huge. It's everything. And we were talking about the Houston Texans. You're talking about D'Amico Ryan's about how different that experience is. And it's it's definitely different, you know, for him as well. And so I have to give him that uh, for his, you know, the lineups, and, you know, the pitching you know, rotations or whatever the case might be. He does a great job 21 hours a day of really relating to these guys. And, and that's where if we tie everything in together, what we talked about tonight, that's my biggest thing with him and D'Amico and all the coaches is that I feel like, finally we've got you know number one i think Tobiko definitely has more of a plan than certainly david cully i you know when they hired david cully i was just like who in the hell is this guy <laughs> and 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 then when he went up and he, he was at the press conference he was like oh god no 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 it, it, immediately you're just like no 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 but Tobiko, he's got you know the guys love him the guys respect him and he knows what he's doing and you got to hope that that's going to, you know, translate just like it has for Dusty and the Astros. Yeah, no well, doubt. Like uh, the, 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 the coaching potential is at a level that hasn't been anywhere close to this for a long time. So that's a just, I'm really excited about, you know, even Udoka with the Rockets and the validity that he brings from to the position. Um, but, you know, Dusty and, and, and D'Amico and, Udoka, you know, the, the Houston sports is – the coaching is not going to be the excuse, you know. The coaches, the manager, whatever you want to call it, is, is not going to be the excuse here. Well, speaking of excuses, um, you know, I think we're all still waiting to hear the excuse for one of our, you know, Scott and I's collective scumbag of the week this week, um, the Baltimore Orioles. You know, you mentioned it earlier. I, I uh, you know, tried and cut my teeth as a minor league broadcaster. And, you know, unfortunately, pandemic cut that career short, had to make a change of pace. But, you know, to see someone who made it to the top uh, of the profession, you know, and, and had uh, you know, 
a team that you get. You, that's a, a, not a great job to get when you think about the all the major league jobs, right? You take a chance on the Orioles. They've lost a lot. Now they're a great team. You're having a fun season. And all you're doing is laying out stats. All you're doing is 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 pointing out that like, hey, we're having a better season than we've had before. And to be pulled off air mid-game um, and and reprimanded for well, at the end of the day, you're you're talking positively about your team is is sad because now you've taken what should be a fun, great season for the Baltimore fans, and now all of a sudden the talking point about the Orioles is their 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 ownership is butthurt. You know, their ownership is is little bitches. And so at the end of the day, it's just a scumbag move. And I think Scott and I both can kind of agree on that one that um yeah, just you don't do that. Like there are things, you know, as you said, the Texans don't interfere with what you do. Obviously you're not Mark Vandermeer, but you know, at the end of the day, there's when you have your broadcaster on air, um, you know, you talk to him after the game. You know, if there's something egregious like the uh uh, the Brennan issue where Castellanos hit the home run in the middle of his apology. That, that's a whole other, whole other thing. But, hey, I didn't like the way you presented those stats. Maybe let's frame it this way next time. That's the way to do that. It's not what they did. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a bummer because I, I got to imagine that Kevin Brown, the broadcaster, is probably not you know super pumped about this, this coming to light and this being a big conversation piece. He'd rather just be talking – you know, Baltimore Orioles baseball. Do, do I get to throw out a scumbag of the week? Do I? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We encourage okay. it. All right. Training camp doesn't matter, guy. I see that guy on social media. Training camp doesn't matter, guy. Training camp matters, okay? Training camp matters. It maybe doesn't matter for Laramie Tunsil, who seemingly doesn't break a sweat ever <laughs> at practice. But for guys... 40 through 90 on that training camp roster, that thing matters. And it matters every day and it's fun. And it's the first signs that football is right around the corner. So training camp doesn't matter guy. That guy's the scumbag of the week. I know you mentioned Blake Cashman. I mean, could you imagine if there were no training camp, he might not even be on the team. Yeah. Like if they just, if they just lined it up, had a couple practices and started playing games, like, you know, he he might not have made it. I know, and, and so that's crazy to me, and I, I think, you know, of course, anybody who's into coaching knows the value of practice. I mean, and that's that's just – and, and I, I, I hate for the pandemic, you know, the pandemic and also, I guess, you know, the, the addition of the 17th game where you're removing, you know, a preseason game. I feel like we as fans in some ways are getting shortchanged especially in early September where some of the football we watch in September in the first couple of weeks of the NFL season, not exactly the Christmas football that we could possibly watch. And I think part of that is the whole, whether it's the union or whoever it is, shortening training camp, pulling away one preseason game. And so coaches, I mean, you gotta, uh, you gotta feel for those guys because you know, they have less opportunities to make a decision that is going to impact, you know, that 51, that 52nd, that 53rd, 55th guy, you know, and those are the guys who are, you are gambling their whole lives on, you know, a livelihood and they just don't have as much time as they used to. 
Yeah, and practice just isn't as you know you can't get as much done in practice in the season as you used to be able to. So training camp, you you make huge strides. So it matters. So don't let anybody tell you training camp doesn't matter. It matters. Absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. And it's it's always from guys who uh, with captain of their high school football team, right? Who were like, I I didn't need it. I didn't need two a days. I could have showed up and I still would have thrown for three touchdowns, Uncle Rico style. But at the end of the day, these guys. Um, I think you could even, if you listen to the Kelsey cast or, you know, whatever it's actually called, those guys talk about training camp glowingly and how much they look forward to it and how it helps them be ready for a fantastic season. So um, I think any true athlete understands the ability to either go away or, you know, the Texans stay locally. Uh, I think they all go to the holiday Inn over there where they, they lock it down though. And just to focus on nothing but your craft for that little bit of time and, and, mentally prepare for what is a long season, right? You're in uh, what is equivalent to a car crash every single week when you look at the physicality of that game. Uh, so, yeah, training camp matters. It's important, and it's it's a big deal. Uh, Scott, what do you got on a, on a personal level for uh, your scumbag of the week? You know, actually, I'm going to do a little bit of a pivot. Um, and I don't know if that I want to call this guy a scumbag or, or call this group a scumbag. But Pac-12, you you need to run and hide and, and, and just bury your head in the sand. And I don't know, because I want to follow you back to 2015. 2015, you know, we have, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we have, you know, some moving and some shaking, you know, going on. And so some teams of the Big 12, TCU being one, because we've been screwed you know, by number one, Ann Richards, you know, God rest her soul, but uh, she screwed us out of being in the Big 12. We we were scared shitless because we're like, are we going to be without a conference? Is the Big 12 folding? So a bunch of, you know, Big 12 teams go to the Pac-12 and say, hey, you know, are you interested in us? Pac-12 says, no, we don't want any religious schools. Y'all go fuck yourselves. We're fine. Well, here we are, 2023, Pac-12. You are not fine. You are the four pack. And I, I don't know. I, I, from there, if you're you know, the Pac-12 commissioner, what do you even do? I, I mean, got it. No, I got the answer to that question. Do you remember there was like a beer commercial back in the day and there was like the holiday five pack where they would rip it and put the bow? That's what you do. You get one more team and then the pack, the four pack becomes the holiday five pack. And that's the name of your conference. I mean, do you stand on the side of the road and said, you know, we'll join your conference for food? Or, you know, do you actually, you know, with a somewhat serious face, go to some smaller schools and say, hey, you want to join up with the four pack? Yeah, this will be fun. I mean, no, I mean, I, I don't know how. I mean, that was just absolute malpractice. And I don't know how they could allow this to ha- happen to themselves. And so quickly, because it started off, Colorado, okay, they're going to Big 12. It's like, Colorado's not a big deal, okay. But then all of a sudden, you've got, you know, Washington and Oregon going Big 10. You've got both Arizona schools going Big 12. You've got, you know, Utah going to Big 12. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's done. It's just just a big party. Everybody's gone. And I'm I'm glad, I mean, I'm with Cody on this one. I'm glad to finally be on this end of it. You know, because yeah. TCU, we've been, we've gotten, you know, the business. And I know Tim is pissed off, you know, perpetually about how U of H has been done wrong over the years. And, and I agree with you there, too. But, yeah. Because even, even when we made the move, to, like, we went Big East, right? Like, everything shuffles. We get into the Big East. 
At the time, the Big East was an automatic BCS bowl. We're like, whoo, okay, we did it. And then, like, two days later, the Big East fucking folded. And it's just like, come on, man. Yeah. This is so I don't know. I don't know. If you're Pac-12 commissioner, do you ever get out of your basement ever again? Uh, or you just sit there and say, Don, uh, your guy's good. You, you do something else. I'll just stay here. You, uh, you, collect your, you collect your bonus check just like every other big-time business person at a failing company on the way out the door. Yeah. And you, and you hope that you can sleep at night. That's what you do he's, on the way out the door. He's throwing snow cones at a, at a stand outside of Sandals, Jamaica right now, just laughing at everybody and, and enjoying the good life. Yep. Um, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to take one more scumbag. I think we had the collective one there, Scott. Um, I, I used to listen to a lot of, of Colin Cowherd, uh, years ago. I, I don't know what it was. I, I used to think he was insightful. And I, I think early on in his career, maybe he, he worked a lot harder on his show prep than he does now. I don't know, but you know, this week he comes out and he says, CJ Stroud is going to be the quarterback that busts out of this class he just doesn't have the talent and and to me that this just screams i need i need attention look at me ratings are down i gotta say some outrageous shit because we've not played a single preseason game uh anybody who's been in practice you know the local people have talked about how good cj stroud looked we've talked on this podcast about the gains that cj stroud has made and as he's making this gains Colin Cowher's going, yeah, this guy doesn't have it. This guy just doesn't have it. And it's like, what the fuck are you looking at, bro? Like, what are you what are you watching? Because he hasn't put anything on tape for you yet at a professional level. None of the the you've never seen Mechie ever on a pro level because unfortunately, you know, he had a god awful illness last year. Uh, I think Tank Dell is going to be a superstar. And they're just and he goes, there's just no talent and he can't do it. Well, I just. Why? How? Where are you getting these from, Colin Cowherd? Because we haven't seen a single professional snap. These are the same people who, after one preseason game, talked about how Tim Tebow was actually a good pick in the first round and he was a steal. And, you know, what are we doing? What are we freaking doing? And, and I don't understand who with this and, – and the media that we live in, I, and I think this is too probably why I listened to Cowherd, was I, we didn't really have podcasts yet the way that we did. But in a world where we can literally – choose exactly what we want to listen to whenever we want. Why are people still picking this guy? What is he bringing to the table that you're just like, I got to listen to Cowherd today. It's a real I mean, I grew up listening to Jim Rome. I listened to Jim Rome every day. I would plan my shit around the smack off. Loved it. I can't remember the last time I listened to Jim Rome because I don't listen to the radio in the car. I don't care about these national hot take guys anymore because all they're doing is filling air. They're just filling air. They don't do the prep to actually go into great conversation on specific teams because they don't have specific teams. At least the guys who are local in the market are at camp. They're interviewing guys. And if you want to learn more about your team, here's XYZ podcast to go learn more about it. Or if here's a historical option, if you want to learn about this event, go for it. But th- these these radio pundits who just like have to say stuff to get people to, for some reason, still use the radio dial. It's it's outdated and it's just scummy. Actually, you know, I was going to say, and, and, and Cody, uh, you've always, you're obviously there, but to me, there's no way of knowing who a bus is going to be. But I think at quarterback, and I, and I firmly believe this. 
who the coach is, what the system is around that quarterback is absolutely the most important thing. And and I think, you know, David Carr, probably back in 2002, he probably had some personal failings. I mean, there were rumors that he was the last one to arrive and the first one to leave, which is not the way to build leadership. But at the same time, I don't see any quarterback really being successful in the situation they threw him into. And so when you're looking at C.J. Stroud, if you're going to say he's going to be a bust, what you're saying is D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick are bust, which I, I I don't know about Bobby Slowick. I mean, obviously he's never called plays before, but I don't see how you could look at anything D'Amico Ryans has done as a player, as a coach, as a coordinator, and go, nah, it's not it. <laughs> he's not going to do it. I mean, you can't look at him and, and come to that conclusion. But, I mean, unless you're talking like Ryan Leaf, I don't see how you can look at any quarterback that's been drafted independent of the situation they're in and go, yep, that guy was going to be a bust. I, I think there's a few, like maybe Josh Rosen, uh, Tim Tebow. I don't think there's any system in the NFL where Tim Tebow as a first-round pick was going to be worthy of that pick. But, yeah, I think 80, 80 to 85% of the time, first-round quarterback draft picks are situational dependent. Cowherd won because we talked about him. So that's that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I I, I know we're crushing Cowherd for hey, this guy's going to be a bust. You know, without Anthony Richardson's going to be a bust. Boom! I got a hot take too, Cowherd. How about that? How about that? I love it. Absolutely. Uh, love it. Okay, so want to give Cody give give you an opportunity before we uh before we leave here. Where can the people find you? Uh, and and what will they be getting if they tune in to you? Yeah, so the, the, the YouTube channel, just search my name. You'll be able to find the YouTube channel. Uh, there's a lot of recorded content. There's a lot of lives that we'll do. You know, we're one of the lives talking Texans that go pretty late in the night. Um, so, you know, there's, that gives people an opportunity to catch up on it in the morning or catch it live, you know, late night, have some fun that way. And then Houston Football, my website, my new website, It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's where all my writing is. Uh, www.houfootball.com is where you can find it. I got live ops or, uh, you know, on the Twitter, I got the live observations, but I got the 11 observations after practice, as well as uh, plenty of other writing over the course of the season. We're going to have some fun stuff, um, you know, from a week to week standpoint, like matchups and, and things like that. Uh, eventually there's going to be a subscription element of the site, but there will always be something free on the site for the people. So, you know, I appreciate people's support. Uh, however they want to bring it the twitter account at cody underscore stutes or i guess x the x account at cody underscore stutes uh there and uh we'll do a little college football on the back end at the site too because I'm, I'm a heisman trophy voter i've been a heisman trophy voter since the year Jameis winston won the heisman trophy so you gotta do me a little college football to uh you know you know fill satiate that taste that desire so uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm going to be at Texans every day. If there's something, I'm going to be there talking to the players, talking to the team, talking to D'Amico and, and, you know, giving my uh, reporting on the team, but also my opinion, my analysis. And uh, it's going to be a fun season. They're going to be interesting for 17 weeks, no matter the win loss record. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, we're excited to follow you and, and follow the team through you. Uh, as, <clears throat> as I agree, it's going to be a fantastic year. Oops, I didn't mean to raise my hand there. But uh, so, Tim, where uh, where can the folks find you? 
as always, at Tim underscore Costello uh, 10 on Twitter. Um, I'm on threads. You can search for same thing. Um, I, I, I just keep forgetting to check threads. And then every now and then I'm like, ah, I, should, I, I, got, I got a threads account. And then I'll log on and I'll look at that. But, you know, they call it X, but it's still Twitter.com on my actual. It's very confusing. You know, I don't know. I'm not one of those like Elon bros. Um, you know, really just a lot of, uh, a lot of flaws. I don't understand the trend to change. Uh, you know, HBO is a pretty well-known name, but we go to max there. Twitter's a pretty well-known name, but we're going to change it to X. I don't get it. You know, established brands are established for a reason, but Tim underscore Costello 10, that's the, uh, the Twitter handle. And you can find the show, uh, at the snap hook, uh, snap hook podcast on, on Facebook. Well, you could find me on Twitter slash X slash whatever it will be called next week at S Barzilla. Um, I'm also on threads um, and the Instagram and all that good stuff. Um, I do have my own sub stack. So if anybody wants to follow my writing, they could certainly do that there. Uh, it's under Scott's sub stack. So, you know, pretty easy to figure it out. Uh, and I do write uh, for Battle Red blog and occasionally for Juanita Jeans as well. So I just do a whole lot of writing. It's uh, something to follow during the season. I don't know if uh, Cody is familiar with this, but we do a hair of the dog on every game day. And it usually comes out like maybe a couple of days after the game. And it is hilarious. It's like a mystery science theater 3000 kind of look at the game. And so, you know, real, you know, real thoughts. And, and it's just kind of, it's, it's comical, but uh, as far as change, remember Comcast became Xfinity. So when you have sucky customer service, you change brands. Different. It's new. It's better. So there you go. Uh, but Cody, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, this evening we're recording this uh, Wednesday morning as you're you're listening. Uh, so great to catch up with you and, and uh, to hear an inside look at what's going on with your Houston, Texas. Yeah, man, it's been fun. Thanks, you guys, for having me. And uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Look forward to having you back again and uh, hopefully a successful Texan season that we continue to want to want to talk about. But that's all we've got for you this week. We appreciate, as every week, you letting us be a part of your week. But we will be back again. This has been The Snap Up. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook.